the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast, UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for all things G5 football. Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry, back with you once again after a uh, interesting weekend in CUSA. As always, this league once again proves that it's uh, pretty unpredictable, wouldn't you say, Eric? You can say that again. Yeah, I mean, it's another interesting week of Conference USA football. Uh, definitely at the midway point, you know, kind of, we definitely have some surprises and, and things that we didn't expect coming into the year. But hey, that's what makes, you know, playing the games fun, right? For sure. If nothing else, this league seems to provide like just endless entertainment throughout the season with uh, just the amount of parody that's in it. But uh, we'll dive into that in depth over the next hour or so with you on this episode. Uh, let's start with a result that's not too surprising in the uh, CUSA East Divisional race. Marshall beating up on Old Dominion 31-17. to Much improved day from the Marshall offense, particularly Isaiah Green. He threw, uh, threw a touchdown and ran for one. Um, so that's kind of what you want to see if you're a Marshall fan, obviously. Um, Isaiah Green, I feel like, hasn't had, a, hasn't had too much to celebrate, but um, definitely seems to be getting his groove back at the right time, uh, especially with, obviously, conference games in full swing now. And on the other side with Old Dominion, looks like Stone Smart uh, was replaced by Messiah DeWeaver, who looked fine in spots, all things considered. Um, but Old Dominion, it's interesting that they're they're one and five to this point. And I really feel like Stone Smart was not the reason that they're at that point. So um, maybe plugging the wrong hole, so to speak, if you're Bobby Wilder, it looks like. Yeah, I definitely agree there. When you look at this program and you look at the team, they're not just a quarterback away. I I don't think that's necessarily a hot take in, in saying that. I've just been surprised. Whenever that thought they would be strong is on the offensive line or at least be formidable, especially with a guy like Isaac Weaver who, you know, doesn't miss a snap. I mean, talk about an Iron Man. I, I believe if I hopefully my memory serves me correct, over the past two seasons, he'd only missed one snap due to uh, his helmet coming off in a game and, and on a play, which forced him to, you know, obviously snap that one play. So having a guy like that, you would think your offensive line would be a little more formidable, but this hasn't been the case. Another thing, the rushing attack for Old Dominion over the past two years has really been non-existent, whether it was Jeremy Cox last year, Keyshawn Strong this year. So that's just, you know, just a litany of the issues as far as the Old Dominion uh, side of things. But for Marshall, Definitely want to give them credit because, yes, they're three and three, and they've had a couple of slip ups which have been disappointing. You know, A, Isaiah Green manages to protect the football, but you've got to take this into account. They had to dismiss Tyler King uh, due to violation of team rules, and they're also still playing without Obi Obialos, a guy who we thought, you know, an Oklahoma State transfer would be arguably their number one receiver receiving target, and he's not there. So, all things considered, you know, I want to give Doc Holliday's uh, ball club some credit. Uh, the defense is coming together, so good win overall. For sure. Give credit to uh, Brendan Knox as well. Definitely contributed in the rushing game. Um, just need to kind of get a string of good performances together if you're Marshall because uh, obviously had some pretty high expectations for them heading into the season. Um, speaking of high expectations, let's talk a little bit about the FAU Owls. Uh, they take down MTSU 28-13 to over the weekend. Uh, personally, I thought FAU's defense was going to be the deciding factor, and they proved me right. It looks like forcing three interceptions of Asher O'Hara. Um, 
his uh, his little magical start to the season, so to speak, uh, just really didn't come through in the second half. Um, but I mean, you know, in his defense, it looks like he just didn't have uh, a ton of help on that side of the ball, which is uh, got to be frustrating if you're uh, if you're Rick Stockstill. But um, yeah, it looks like it's the uh, the younger Stockstill who uh, wins his first game coaching against his dad here. Yeah, Stockstill Bowl number one goes to the younger Stockstill, right? Uh, it's funny. I actually had a chance to call into Lane Kiffin's teleconference Sunday, uh, Sunday evening, just to kind of hear his recap of the game. And he, like you, Joe, sounded really pleased with the performance of his of his defense. He talked about uh, Glenn Spencer coming over from Charlotte, and he felt that you know the first two games were kind of an aberration when you go against teams like Ohio State, uh, UCF. He also talked about Ball State as well, having a tremendous offense. So he felt that the numbers were coming back down to earth, and I think they kind of showed themselves on Saturday. Miko Dotson, two picks. Rashad Smith had an interception as well. And give credit to Malcolm Davidson, who, you know, carried the rock. Uh, for the majority of the season, you know, FAU had kind of been wanting to, uh, not necessarily running back by committee, but you'd seen B.J. Emmons until his injury. Uh, you'd seen uh, Larry McCammon, his name was escaping me for a second, get some carries, but, you know, he, like McCammon, being he got banged up after his touchdown run, Malcolm Davidson, 21 carries for 149 yards and a score, so really carried the way, and I think the thing that was great for an FAU fan, it, it showed that they can win a game with defense and rushing, so that Chris Robinson doesn't have to, you know, necessarily carry the load, and I think that's always important to see uh, if you're a team, you don't necessarily want to always be on your quarterback's shoulders, so Good win for FAU. And like you mentioned with Asher O'Hara, a couple turnovers. He can't necessarily do it all. I mean, you know, I think – I don't want to say he fell back to earth because he still put up uh, solid numbers passing. But, you know, eventually the the lack of turnovers was going to end at some point, especially against a good FAU defense. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, we've said it before, but I'm really impressed with kind of the development of Chris Robison up to uh, almost 1,600 yards passing on the year, 13 touchdowns. I mean, uh, he's just a touchdown machine. I, if He's got to be close to the top of the league, if not uh, at the top in terms of passing touchdowns. So I think, you know, given kind of the up and down nature of his career, it's it's really starting to come together in his latest season here for the Owls. Yeah, that's once again, you know, just has to be a takeaway. Even though he didn't have to carry the team last night, one of the things that he managed to do was not give the game away. And, and we talked about his inconsistent play last year. You know, we'll talk about a couple of quarterbacks who've had some inconsistent play this year and the rest of this podcast. So the fact that he didn't turn the football over was huge. Absolutely. Um, so we'll go from some great offense on the part of FAU to some uh, just downright terrible offense on the part of UTSA. They lose at home to UAB 33 to 14 for the Blazers. Lucius Stanley looking good filling in for uh, Spencer Brown as he still deals with a foot injury. Um, and like I said, just a non-existent offense for UTSA uh, really struggled to get anything going aside from uh, a couple of touchdowns in the middle of the game there. Yeah, you can talk about UTSA. Uh, it was announced earlier, I believe it was, uh, heading into that game that Frank Harris would be out for the rest of the season. So, you know, Lowell Narcisse is your quarterback, and, and while he provides the, the dynamic of using his legs, just as a passer isn't there yet, you know, Sincere McCormick, it shows really in his numbers because of the fact that teams are stacking the box and really playing heavy against him. But for UAB, you mentioned to give Lucius Stanley credit, 13 carries for 92 yards, Tyler Johnson, 
only one interception. Uh, sure, if you're a UAB fan, you like to see him not turn the football over at all, but especially talk about his play, where sometimes his interceptions can come in bunches. You know, I think that's huge. And the UAB defense comes up strong. You know, that, that just kind of shows whether it's last year or this year, Bill Clark's defense is definitely getting the job done. And, uh, yeah, good win for UAB as far as UTSA goes. You know, we'll talk about them a little later in the podcast. The fan enthusiasm, I think, is definitely waning there in San Antonio. And uh, a huge part of it has to be the lack of offense. Yeah, you know, defense wins championships, but offense, uh, you know, that's kind of what sells tickets in this day and age. So got to be a frustrating situation for, uh, I mean, not just for Frank Wilson, but seemingly everybody in that UTSA fandom. And I mean, that's, it's, it's a bummer because like, the football team is obviously what's going to bring people out, but uh, you know, by all accounts that we've heard, uh, UTSA might have one of the the most fun atmospheres in CUSA. So that's just uh, that's just disappointing. Yeah, it's it's funny you mention that because that's one of the things that I didn't realize when I wrote my offseason series talking about you know best uh, football stadiums in Conference USA. One of the the biggest feedback I got was that UTSA has one of the most tremendous tailgates. And, you know, our own Jared Kalmus came on the podcast in the offseason and talked about it as well. So you hope that that doesn't start waning as well. Uh, kind of that atmosphere outside the stadium, even if the fans are making it inside, you really hope that it's still uh, a tremendous tailgate atmosphere outside. Yeah, for sure. And it's that's hard to find in CUSA, that kind of atmosphere. So hopefully they can right the ship somewhat and kind of get people back in the seats. Um, we'll move on then to Western Kentucky and Army. Tops win that game 17-8. We called it, Eric. We were one of the few. Um, but um, th- this was great to see for the Hilltoppers because they give Army their worst offensive day of the season. Uh, helped Connor Slomka to very few yards. Um, <laughs> you know, actually got the Black Knights to the point where they were throwing the ball late in the game. Um, so that defense continues to come up big. Um, D'Angelo Malone, another big day for him. Uh, probably the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year at this point. And um, on the offensive side of the ball, another 100-yard day for Gage Walker. So he's uh, getting hot at the right time. And um, Ty Story, two rushing touchdowns for him on QB sneaks, um, which ultimately Walker and then the run game set up along with the defense. Um, Ultimately, I think if you're Tyson Helton, you want uh, Ty Story to be playing a little bit tougher but at the same time you can't be too mad with where this team is given the uh, expectations heading into the season yeah joe you, you know that homer simpson meme where you know he he walks out of the bushes and then kind of like backpedals that, yeah. that's that's kind of how i'm feeling in, in terms of tyson helton and western kentucky because i definitely didn't expect this from them this year and the reason i mentioned that meme is because uh when i covered cusa media days you know for underdog dynasty we had a chance to talk to tyson helton and I was just, I don't want to say I was surprised, but he was very calm. Uh, not that I expect him to be, you know, raging, uh, you know, like a lunatic or anything like that. But he just, there was a level of calmness about, hey, I think I have a really solid football team here. And I, I might be the only person who believes this, but I think we're going to win some games. And of course, you know, coming off of the past two seasons of the Mike Sanford era, you're like, all right, you know, that's just coach speak. But I'm definitely walking that back. I mean, he knew what he had, if, if none of us, uh, quote-unquote, you know, conference USA experts did. Uh, so, you know, great job by him and his coaching staff. And, and it's something we've talked about throughout this early season, early season, excuse me, success, is that they have a great formula for winning and that it's just defense and running. And that'll give Ty Story time to come along. Yes, you'd like to see 
more than 140 yards on 21 completions. But as long as the defense keeps playing well and the rushing game is still, you know, is working, the offensive line is playing well, it'll give Ty Story time to settle in and, and maybe find his footing as a passer. So all in all, you know, great win for the Hilltoppers. It continues to be ironic that the thing that's winning games ultimately for this team is the defense when you have Tyson Helton at, at the head coach who has uh, obviously has an offensive background and, um, you know, had a lot of success uh, being an offensive coordinator at several different schools, not just Western Kentucky. So that's uh, that's funny. And um, just looks like they I think they, I feel like they've had the talent there all along. They just kind of needed uh they needed to be revitalized in a way they needed the confidence that apparently uh you know helton's coaching style and his play calling style gives them to really have a lot of success um and just i mean d'angelo malone we can't we can't talk enough about how he and just that entire defensive line is just controlling the line of scrimmage to uh to the max at this point um Speaking of being in control, we have Louisiana Tech um, winning against UMass 69 to 21. Three touchdowns each for Jamar Smith and Justin Henderson. And uh, UMass continues their uh, tour of futility through CUSA, so to speak. They are, as we've said many times, I feel like over the course of this podcast, uh, not a good program right now. Yeah, not going to spend too much time recapping this one. I mean, Justin Henderson, you know, he's really emerged as the guy for Louisiana Tech, three touchdowns. And, you know, nice to see Amik Robertson have another pick six. You know, he's, once again, arguably Conference USA's best defensive player right there with D'Angelo Malone. But as someone who just saw this UMass team in person last week at FIU, uh, it's clear that uh, I don't want to come down too hard and you suck him back in the program. But I think if you had a vote for – uh, worst FBS football team right now. Yeah, UMass be right there in the running. They're just, you know, Walt Bell, he, he, former Florida State offensive coordinator. I, mean, I think he's got things going in the right direction in terms of what he wants to do with the program, but he definitely has his work cut out for him. Now, this isn't necessarily bashing the program, but if you look at what, uh, you know, UMass's lack of accomplishment up to date this season, and then you look at what they were able to do last season, the uh, what do you call missing link for this season seems to be Andy Isabella. So what does that tell you about how good a player he was for UMass last year that they're having so little success this year while he's uh, doing pretty well in the NFL in his rookie year? I mean, that's just unquestionably, you know, it, it, <laughs> I saw Andy Isabella last year and he was the primary reason that UMass got points. I believe he had two touchdowns last year against FIU, but it just goes to show how tremendous a player he was and the fact that, uh, you know, once again, I, I don't want to bash the, you know, the, the, the quarterbacks back there, but uh, he really made those guys because, you know, whether it was uh, Michael Curtis, I'm, I'm forgetting the uh, other two kids who played at UMass last year, but Andy Isabella, you know, really covered up a lot of things with that program. So this goes to show how great of a talent he was at UMass. Absolutely. So uh, w with Louisiana Tech, though, they get uh, they get another win. And I believe that makes them five and one total at this point, which is uh, yeah, very good for them and two and in conference play. Um, with that, then we'll talk about uh, some other CUSA West teams, Southern Miss and North Texas duked it out over the weekend. Golden Eagles win that game 45 to 27. Uh, like you and I kind of have talked about uh, a lot this year, Eric, when Jack Abraham and Kez Watkins have that connection really going, it's really hard to stop that offense. And they did their thing this week. 
Kez Watkins got uh, eight catches for 198 yards and a touchdown. Abraham had four uh, passing touchdowns in this game total. Um, if you're a North Texas fan, you know, you have to be disappointed in, in how they've played so far, namely on defense. I mean, Mason Fine and Trey Siggers uh, doing the best they can, at, at least from, you know, 10,000 feet or whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, you know, they you have to see coming the offensive firepower that you're going to deal with uh, most of the time in this league and be ready for it. And they have not looked that way at all so far this year. Yeah, it's been surprising, especially with a guy like Harry Muhammad, who, you know, is one of the better defensive players, better, especially better defensive backs in Conference USA on your squad. It's just been surprising as far as, you know, the level of futility in terms of defense. And once again, I mean, you also got to kind of know that, I don't want to say kind of know that you're going to get in some shootouts with Mason Fine, but you know that you're going to be, your offense is going to put up points, right? So it's not necessarily, hey, you need to go out there and be Western Kentucky and hold them to eight. Uh, you know, hold the offense, the opposing offense, eight points, but you got, you can't allow, you know, four or five touchdowns a game and expect your offense just to be able to keep up. So that's been surprising overall. But, you know, hey, uh, I think if, if you're a North Texas fan, I think the biggest thing you have to be really frustrated about is you thought that this would be the year, whether it was DeAndre Torrey and Trey Singers, Mason Fine, a defense together, you know, DeAndre Plantain coming over from Virginia Tech, uh, having a guy like Jalen Darden who caught three touchdowns. You thought this was the year that everything would come together, and clearly it just hasn't been the case. No, not at all. And um, it's funny that uh, I think North Texas fans' biggest fear the last couple of years has been, when is Seth Luttrell going to leave for the P5 job? And, I mean, if, if things keep going this way, uh, that might not be the case for a little while, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, just something to uh, be, be cautious of if you're a North Texas fan, and hopefully that defense can kind of um, – get their wheels turning, so to speak, as uh, conference play continues. And uh, I'll tell you what, they just, they need a lot of help if they're going to get to where a lot of us expected them to be at the end of the season with uh, four losses already under their belt. Uh, with that, then we'll go to the, uh, another green team in COSA with uh, Charlotte and FIU in uh, Miami over the weekend, FIU winning that game 48 to 23. Really critical win for the Panthers there, uh, who have you know had uh, some similar struggles to what North Texas has seen so far this year. Um, two passing touchdowns for James Morgan. He looks uh, healthy as ever, which is great for him. Three rushing touchdowns for Anthony Jones and one for Napoleon Maxwell. And uh, I'll tell you, like I mentioned, James Morgan, clearly healthy. But um, if he wasn't, it, it looks like that running game has really kind of uh, started to find their stride, which is uh, you got to be happy with if you're Butch Davis or a Panther fan. Um, on the Charlotte side, two total touchdowns for Ben LeMay, one rushing and one receiving. Uh, he continues to be one of the better offensive individual talents in this league. But, um, you know, clearly just the, the defense wasn't ready for what they faced um, against FIU. Yeah, you know, here was my biggest takeaway from that game. Uh, first thing, you know, Benny LeMay, and I talked about it heading into the game, is that for FIU, you know, Benny LeMay kind of been their Achilles heel. He, he had his most yards against any CUSA program, uh, the program being at FIU. So heading into the game was really going to be what could they do to contain him. And I know the the box score, Joe, is going to say 21 carries for a buck 44 and a touchdown in addition to the 90 yards receiving, which, I mean, he made a heck, uh, Joe, he made a heck of a one-handed uh, catch. It was a ball that was overthrown by Reynolds, and he managed to lay out 
for it, you know, all five, seven of him. Mm-hmm. Leon Ford and caught that one and then took a screen uh, on a third of 11. He took a screen 43 yards for a touchdown. So Benny played his heart out. But really quick, as far as the FIU run defense, if you take away on the first series, Benny Lemay had a 46-yard run. And then if you look at the other chunk plays, he had three runs of 15, 10, and 12. If you take those away, uh, I, I believe it was 17 carries for 58 yards is, is what Benny's left with. So, you know, I, listen, as someone who's critiqued FIE's run defense, whether it's been in print or on this podcast, uh, for the better part of the past year and a half, I have to outline that and give them credit. For Charlotte, it, it really seems like they're kind of a young team that's kind of figuring out how to win. And there was one play in particular in the game that kind of just summarized it for me. It was a four-point game with about five or it's about four minutes left uh, heading into halftime, and Charlotte was driving excuse me, FIU was driving and uh, they were down in Charlotte territory. Uh, James Morgan had took a kind of a rough blindside sack. I believe it was Marquise Watts from Charlotte sack from his blindside. The ball's laying there on the ground. And of course, you know, you're in that scrum. You can't really see what's going on. But I counted it. There were five Charlotte players who gave the signal, okay, we've got the ball. We've got the ball. And then what happened from there was kind of bizarre. Uh, FIU running back Devontae Price just picked up the ball from the back of the pile Oh, clearly like yards away from the Charlotte guys who were pointing, they had the ball and advanced it to midfield. So, I mean, that's just kind of a, a mistake that even Will Hilly noted in his post game. Hey, if we picked that one up. We're deep in FIU territory. And if we can score there, uh, we can maybe tie it or maybe take the lead. Instead, you know, FIU finishes that drive out. And I think it ended with a Napoleon Maxwell touchdown. He talked about the success of FIU on the ground, almost having 300 yard rushers. So that's just supposed to show for a team that's trying to learn how to win and kind of build that culture. You can't have mistakes like that happen. Um, but, you know, those things aside, give credit to FIU. Once again, Anthony Jones, Napoleon Maxwell, over 100. So that's the first time that happened since UMass last year. FIU had 200-yard rushers. So uh, great game by the defense, great game by the rushing. And also Alexi Jean-Baptiste, got to shout him out, uh, providing some pass rush for the Panthers, six tackles, half a sack, and a tackle for loss. So he was very expressive in the postgame about being uh, ecstatic, <laughs> being away from Arkansas in the SEC and being home at FIU. So uh, that's a solid win for FIU. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I feel like, you know, if given the choice between Arkansas and Miami, I feel like I know which one I would pick. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like too tough a decision uh, if it's just me. But anyway, uh, a loss for Charlotte, not completely where they want to be, obviously. You know, we knew there would be some growing pains in the first year with Will Healy. But, um, uh, you know, with two wins so far, I think uh, they both, well, both the team and the fans thought they would be a little bit further along at this point. Uh, Eric, what was the Will Healy quote after the game uh, on that subject? Well, yeah, I mean, Coach Healy had a quote here. Uh, He gave it to David Scott of the Charlotte Observer. He said, you know, and and it's the context is it's his thoughts on dropping the first CUSA games. I was probably young, dumb, and naive enough to think that we could go out and strap it up and win games in this league just because you have some energy. We're getting a dose of reality. Uh, I found that quote pretty interesting because if you, anyone who's followed Will Healy and the Charlotte program on Twitter knows that their entire, you know, kind of thing has kind of been, you know, just being fired up, you know, uh, him injecting kind of that useful energy into the program that, you know, maybe Brad Lambert didn't have. And I, I don't want to think that he's second guessing himself, but I just found the quote really interesting. Maybe uh, for two reasons. One, I think, Coach Healy's getting uh, an example, you know, kind of firsthand take the thing that this league can be competitive. I mean, we know it. 
Uh, it, it, you might not get the results you expect, but from week to week, you know, any game is winnable or losable. But the second thing is it, it just surprised me that I think it's a level of transparency from Coach Healy that is somewhat refreshing. Uh, when I had a chance to talk to him in media days, he was very up, uh, you know, um, uh, forthright and upfront about his thoughts about what he wants to do with the program. And I still think he has things going in the right direction. But to both of these games, whether it was the FAU game or the FIU game, at points they were winnable. Uh, the final score might not show that, and I don't want to take away from those teams, you know, uh, success. But at points, Charlotte had their chances. And I think it just goes to show that the program is young and growing and they're learning how to win. And uh, it takes a lot to play 60 minutes of football. So th that's another thing. No, you're 100% right in, in what it really takes to win games consistently at this level. Uh, it's a lot. And I mean, even with, you know, the talent of Ben LeMay and at times Chris Reynolds on your roster, it's going to be difficult the entire way. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, there's so much parity in this league that you have to be prepared for anything because um, you, you never know when uh, FIU or any other team is going to have the kind of day that they did. Um, that being said, that quote, I think you have to remember that Will Healy's only 34 years old, which when you're 18 sounds like a very old age, but at the same time, he's definitely one of the, the younger head coaches in college football. And I feel like losing streaks like this, or just kind of streaks of, of bad luck or bad fortune, whatever you want to call it, they, they definitely have a tendency to get you know, get under the skin of uh, younger guys more so than these older guys who have kind of taken their lumps and have kind of been there, done that, seen it all over the course of their coaching career. So I feel like part of that was definitely there. Um, but also it could have just been a thing of like, you know, a way to kind of publicly motivate his team. You know what I mean? Like we have the energy, we have the talent, we just kind of need to buckle down and, and really uh, you know, do what it takes to win these games when they get in, you know, in tough situations or play uh, teams who might have, you know, a little more talent on their roster. Yeah, you know, once again, I pointed out that that play specifically just, and there were a couple of plays like that for Charlotte where, you know, you could kind of see it was, once again, I, I don't think it was a coaching thing as much as it was just, you know, kind of a youthful thing where guys, you know, you can tell they're excited and they want to make plays because they want to go back to the, the sideline and celebrate and bring that energy. But, you, you know, to, to use the example, you know, with the, the play with the fumble, you got to finish it. You know, it, it's not enough just to force the fumble. You got to recover it and, and get it in your own territory. You can't just, you know, have that energy and excitement. And one thing that, you know, we all know uh, from covering this league, uh, winning covers a lot of things and losing can bring out certain things. So granted, it's great to have a great attitude, but you got to be able to uh, put wins on the board at some point in time. So I think that'll be something to keep an eye on Charlotte, but all things considered, I think they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. On the uh, flip side of that, what was the quote from uh, Bobby Wilder after his team's performance this week as old dominion drops to one and five? Well, Bobby Wilder, I mean, he, I think he said it again because the quote that he said was, I think, was the best one in five football team in, in America. But I believe Bobby Wilder, hopefully I, I have this correct, I believe he said that we're, I'm the best or we're the best 0-2 or 0-3 football team at, at a certain point when they were winless early this year as well. So it just goes to show that Bobby Wilder has a certain amount of belief in his team, and I think that's great, but 
once again, I don't want to criticize coach because even, you know, I keep going back to CUSA media days because I think it's a great starting point to see how these guys feel about their team heading into the year. And then you can kind of take it at the midway point and see, you know, how they're feeling. And Coach Wilder, again, was very confident and very, you know, steadfast in his belief that he thought he'd have a very solid football team. Uh, I would respectfully disagree with him. And, I, and I'm, I think it just goes to show last year, when you have a four-win team and you have guys who are in the NFL and you lose that talent, but heading into this year, I, I just don't – for me personally, once again, no disrespect to Coach Wilder, it just didn't match up. Uh, his statements didn't match up. But at the same point in time, it's also one of those things, Joe, where it's like, what do you expect him to say? I don't expect him to say, oh, yeah, we're going to go out and lose 10 games either. Um, so, you know, the quota, uh, it, it, it's, it just goes to show that he's been very steadfast in his belief that he's coaching a very good football team. Sure. And I mean, again, you mentioned it. If you're a coach, you don't want to put your team down in public. But here are some of the other one in five teams. And I have a hard time believing that Old Dominion is, is you know, would beat some of these teams in a head to head matchup. Uh, Georgia Tech, probably not, at least not in my mind. UConn, they might actually have them there. Uh, <laughs> Northwestern, probably not. Rutgers, maybe. <laughs> Rice is 0-6, but that's a different beast, I guess. We'll we'll find out maybe later. Um, UMass, maybe. Um, and then uh, UCLA, probably not, at least not in my mind. Vanderbilt, probably not. South Alabama, maybe. So just when I heard that, I was kind of like, are they? And after looking at some of the other 1-5 teams in the NCAA right now, I have a hard time believing that they are there as far as one in five teams go, they might just be middle of the pack. No, I, I hadn't looked at the, at the amount of one in five teams that are out there, but you just listed them and I can see at least three or four of those teams that are not going to beat. So, I mean, even a point of reference, you know, there probably are not the best one in five football team out there, but once again, you know, I, I guess the quote caught me by surprise because he's been steadfast in his belief, but of course I get it. You know, what is he going to say? You know, we're the worst one in five football team in America. So, uh, we'll see how things play out there in Norfolk. Yeah, for sure. I, who was it in the NFL this past week? Uh, was it Jarvis Landry talking about the Browns where he was like, I don't think we were as good as we thought we were. And it's like, well, yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, but I, that, that's, that was always kind of interesting to me. Whereas like, that's another difference between like the college and professional level where you can kind of, you know, go into these press conference situations and just be like, yeah, we're bad. Uh, we need to figure it out. Whereas I feel like if a player said that in college, you know, you'd get torn to shreds considering the, uh, the sensitivity of college football fans these days. Well, yeah. I mean, you know how that kind of, <laughs> You know how that kind of works when you're a player and you're making more than the coaches. You can kind of go in there and say whatever you want. Now, uh, I laughed because uh, obviously I think we kind of know how that works in college. So, yeah. Right, exactly. When uh, college football fans write you a mean letter because you have a tattoo or whatever the hell happened to that Penn State kid, it's it's not going to go over the same way. <laughs> but Yeah, um, because, you have, because you have dreads, which was ridiculous. But yeah, good point. Yeah, that was that's a whole other conversation. But uh, with that, then I guess we'll talk about what's to come in week eight of Conference USA football, uh, getting us kicked off on Friday night at 6.30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network, FAU hosting Marshall. Owls are favored by five and a half. Could be a really entertaining game. Um, I think if FAU has the same kind of game that they had last week against Middle Tennessee as far as defense goes, then they're definitely going to put 
some distance between themselves and Marshall. I think Chris Robinson is really in a groove right now. And for that reason, I, I can't pick against FAU. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how this one plays out. It's a night game, uh, 6.30 start here on the East Coast at, at FAU. Uh, a nice showcase for them to kind of show off that stadium and hopefully be packed uh, with, you know, ra- raging FAU Al fans. But uh, on the field, I-, I think that the thing that um, I'm really looking forward to see is there's a formula for FAU to win this game, and it is just do what they've been doing before, which is Chris Robinson to protect the football. Uh, really looking forward to see how they play, how they fare on, on the run game with uh, Malcolm Davidson as well. But Lane Kiffin in his teleconference mentioned that he was interested to see how his team fares coming off a short week. So that would be interesting to keep an eye on. But I absolutely think that uh, this one will be one that Marshall, they probably will fall to three and four here. I just think that Isaiah Green facing that defense, you know, they'll be able to force a couple turnovers. Glenn Spencer's defense is really coming into their own, and I think that FAU will take this one. You know, I think they'll easily cover uh, maybe by 10. Yeah, like I mentioned, should be a uh, a really interesting game. Could be super meaningful for either team, depending on who wins this one. Uh, and again, CBS Sports Network is where you can find that. Uh, getting us started on Saturday at 3.30 uh, p.m. Eastern Time, Louisiana Tech hosting Southern Miss on the NFL Network. Uh, officially, the line is Louisiana Tech by one. Um, this is going to be the first real big test for Louisiana tech. I think five and one to start this year. Uh, but at the same time, it's really tough to, to go against what Jack Abraham and Kez Watkins have right now. You know what I mean? It's a, uh, it's a real, I don't want to say love story. It's a chemistry love story between the, that quarterback and the receiver. Um, I'm going to go with my gut and say Southern miss, but I think if Louisiana tech are able to pull this one out, then I think we can, you know, write it in in pen that they're the the front runner for the west right now no most definitely if they're able to pull this one out they, they without a question uh are the front runner but i think the reason i'm going with southern miss and i think this is definitely going to be the game of the week here in conference usa it's going to be the one that i'll check out before i head to the stadium to cover the fiu game the, the thing that the, the, that i like about southern miss in this one is that i just felt that they have the stronger win the fact that they've beat north texas when you look at louisiana tech wins you have umass uh, at the time, a struggling FIU team. So I just wasn't really confident necessarily they're 5-1 and one versus Southern Miss is 5-1. and one, But you mentioned it. I think that Southern Miss has the best quarterback-receiver duo in Conference USA and Jack Abraham and Quez Watkins. And it's funny because they'll be facing, in my opinion, what is the second-best quarterback-receiver duo in Conference USA and Jamar Smith and Adrian Hardy. So we'll get a chance to see that one fair out. But I think you got to take Southern Miss here. We're in agreement on that one then. Uh, With that, we'll head north to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where the Hilltoppers uh, host the Charlotte 49ers on ESPN Plus at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Toppers are favored by eight and a half. Uh, I'm going to go with WKU because, uh, like I've mentioned a few times at the top of the show and in past shows, that defense is playing absolutely lights out right now, especially against the run game. Uh, so if they can keep Ben LeMay in check and and force Chris Reynolds to throw against that secondary, um, then I really like the top's chances. Uh, offense, like I mentioned, has to get tweaked a little bit, but I think the toppers have this one uh, pretty much in hand. Yeah, I'm – 
going to go Western Kentucky here. For me, the key matchup is going to be Western's defensive ends. We've talked about them on this podcast, Juwan Jones and D'Angelo Malone. It's going to be how they fare against Charlotte's left tackle, Cam Clark, who's one of the best tackles in Conference USA. That's going to be a big matchup. It's really going to determine whether Chris Reynolds will be able to have time to throw the football back there. He's shown that when he's pressured, he can make mistakes. We saw that in the FAU game. Uh, he'll roll out and kind of put it up there for grabs. And, yeah, you know, it's going to come down to Benny LeMay as far as Charlotte's offense is concerned and what can he do versus a very stout Western Kentucky defense. Uh, I expect Devin Key maybe to get a chance to get his hands on the football if Reynolds is able to put it up there. But I expect, you know, a, a, not a huge shootout, you know, maybe a, a 25-10 type game. But I think Washington will win. Yeah, should be uh, should be a good game if that uh, score line holds. But uh, we'll see. With that then, North Texas and Middle Tennessee – 4 p.m. Eastern time on Stadium in Denton. Uh, mean Green favored by eight and a half. Um, I'm going to go with North Texas just because I feel like if it comes down to a shootout between Asher O'Hara and Mason Fine, uh, because honestly, neither of these defenses uh, seem to be playing their best football right now, then I'm going to go with Mason Fine. Uh, and then also the the other thing is I feel like he has the added benefit of uh, having Trey Siggers in that backfield, whereas I feel like MTSU is kind of the Asher O'Hara show right now, which as good as he is uh, or has been at points this season, there's just not a lot on that offensive side of the ball to back him up right now. Yeah, I think you make a good point in terms of North Texas' ability to win a shootout and the fact that uh, you know, if you're taking between Asher O'Hara and Mason Fine, not that we think that Asher O'Hara isn't a fine quarterback, but Mason Fine's been doing this in this conference since day one. Uh, given the fact that North Texas is at home going to take them, I'm tempted to take Middle Tennessee because this is the kind of game that we've seen Rick Stocksville's team just kind of, you know, out of nowhere, you start to write them off and they come back and win. But I think North Texas, uh, you know, the added benefit of being at home, and I think Mason Fine, you know, especially bouncing back after a tough loss last week, I think they'll get the W. We're in agreement on that one then with the uh, preseason USA West favorites. Not so much now, but uh, UAB hosting Old Dominion on ESPN Plus at the same time, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I think the Blazers are a pretty easy pick here. Like Even with kind of the inconsistencies we've seen in, in Tyler Johnson's game, when he's on, he's on. And Old Dominion just, uh, you know, while they're while they're fiddling with the quarterback situation, there's obviously plenty more holes in that boat that they need to plug. And I just don't think there's enough time in the season to to do it with all of them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on the quarterback situation and see what they try to do there between Messiah DeWeaver and Stone Smart. Uh, Bobby Wilder said that, you know, heading into the year, the quarterback competition is one that would play out into the season if need be, if neither quarterback, has, you know, kind of separated themselves. Uh, I guess last week showed that, you know, maybe Stone Smart in his eyes has regressed and neither quarterback has separated themselves. But, you know, uh, Bobby Wilder said that he's the coach of the best one in five football team in America. After this week, he'll be the coach of the best one and six football team in America. I think UAB is going to win. <laughs> Speaking of the best teams with low records, um, we got UTSA hosting Rice this week. Um, even though Rice is 0-6, uh, I feel pretty confident in picking them to beat UTSA. Um, they've looked really tough in points, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and UTSA has just proven that like it's – a really tall task for them to get anything going on offense, even when Sincere McCormick has a good game. Um, you can catch that one at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3. Uh, Eric, what do you think we're going to see at this game in Texas? 
I think we're going to see a Rice victory here. And, and it just goes to show that, you know, what the UTSA offense and, – and it's a situation where you really feel bad for the guys, you know, the players on the field and the fans because Frank Harris, I mean, granted it was against Incarnate Word, you know, not necessarily the greatest of competition – but he really showed, you know, he gave optimism and hope that, hey, this is the guy we thought we had last year. And for him to just, you know, unfortunately miss two straight years with injuries, uh, that's another deflating thing for the fan base in addition to, you know, the success or lack thereof on the field. But for Rice, I just think this is the game that's tailor-made for them. You know, UTSA's offense isn't going to do much. It's going to allow the Rice defense, a guy like Blaze Allridge, to make plays around the field. And I think they'll be able to run the ball with success. So this will be a victory for the Owls. Looking forward to seeing what happens with that one. FIU hosting UTEP to cap off the day at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, another easy pick, FIU here. Uh, they're favored by 24. That's the official line out of Vegas. Um, again, catch that one on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Eric, you're going to head the game. Uh, I think we're going to see any surprises in this one. No, nah, you know, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing UTEP in person for the first time. But uh, outside mm-hmm. of that, I'm expecting a big game from James Morgan as well as the rushing attack. And uh, a good win, or a bit, or maybe a, not a good win, but a big win for FIU, which always leads to the uh, lighthearted, you know, nice atmosphere Butch Davis press conference. Those are always entertaining. Uh, last week, a funny moment was um, there was a FIU media member, or maybe I shouldn't call him a media member, but he works for the school, works for the school magazine, and uh, he was anointed uh, faculty homecoming king last week. And what that led to him was wearing a robe and a crown in the press box, which I sit next to him in the press box weekly, and in the post game. And to kind of give you an idea of the lightheartedness of Butch Davis in the press conference, for those of you who are familiar with the Bud Light Dilly Dilly commercials, there is a king who looks a certain way, and Butch Davis walked in and said, the first thing he said when he walked in was, why is the king from the Dilly Dilly commercials here in the press conference? <laughs> so, uh, uh, just goes to show you that hey you know if we if we get a uh, 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 easy win for FIU which I expect here we'll have the, uh, another funny butchism uh, from Mr. Davis yeah get the uh, good moods to continue for, for Butch um, fun fact the last time UTEP has beat uh, FIU it was in 2013 in El Paso under Sean Coogler against a uh, Ron Turner squad 33-10 to um, so if, uh, history probably won't repeat itself, but, uh, just giving you some, some edumacation as we said last week. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the conference USA underdog podcast. Thank you all so much for listening and helping us get to this point. Uh, appreciate each and every one of you. If you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would help us grow immensely. Uh, hopefully it's a good review. The bad reviews don't help so much. So maybe do the five-star one instead of the other one. But uh, yeah, you can also check us out on Spotify and Google play as well. Um, check out underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football content and follow at underdog dynasty on Twitter. And uh, then if you want, we're on Twitter at J O E H I O underscore and at Eric C Henry underscore uh, come chat with us and uh, tell us what you really think of our, our football talking abilities. If you want or don't, I could uh, actually just don't. Anyway, (laughs) happy football watching everybody. Talk to you next week.